Welcome to Amgar Radio. Oh, God, 8.94. I don't know. Sure, go for that. Doesn't matter. Yeah. We are barreling headfirst into a clash against the mighty Nebraska Cornhuskers because I just said 94. So now it's 1994. Much younger. Alex has not been born yet. Uh, option. Option football. Let's go. Option football is all the rage. Uh, <laughs> and Michigan just we... runs every single play, driving oh, well, everybody not... nuts, including its receivers, who are awesome, but we just don't know that. Not that different than right now. Yeah. But before we get into the Nebraska Cornhuskers, we would like to thank Underground Printing for making this all possible. UGP makes custom apparel such as t-shirts and sweatshirts and was founded by two Michigan alums over 20 years ago. They have three retail locations in Ann Arbor and offer thousands of University of Michigan athletic products for sale, ranging from clothing to accessories and memorabilia. Check them out at UGPMichiganApparel.com or check out our selection of shirts at the MGOBlogstore.com. We'd also like to thank our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Homeshire Lending, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grant, Human Element, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by 4M, and Signal Wire, where we are doing this right now. All right, so this game has a almost a touchdown spread worse than Rutgers, and that's about all we have to say. But we have to fill time, so we're going to continue to fill time. Obviously, big blow for them with starting quarterback Casey Thompson out, and they bring in guys named Chubba and Logan. And I just refuse to believe that anyone named Chubba or Logan can was, be a high quality. He was a top two fifty recruit. He was going to play for I know. FSU. But like, if I was if I was doing the rankings, I'd be like, this guy's named Chubba, and that's not going to happen. Now I know that Stetson Bennett is like a counterpoint to this theory I have, but he was a walk-on, so. No, but Stetson Bennett is, like, the perfect name for a Georgia quarterback. Florida oh. State is great at, like, coming up with, like, crazy, you know, down-in-the-bayou names, even though they're nowhere near the bayou. But, I mean, uh, yeah, Alex, you have been once again tasked with charting the unchartable. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, they do have a good ground game, and their quarterbacks have some mobility, they have been able to put up some yards against most of their opponents. Uh, and they do have a high-quality wide receiver, so that might challenge Michigan in sort of the same ways that Keon Coleman challenged Michigan. But this does feel like a game that's just going to be like a lot of Michigan's games this year where the incompetence of the quarterback means it's impossible to put together a drive. Yeah, and it's a kind of a bummer because, or at least for the Nebraska side, because they were kind of a fun offense when they had Casey Thompson. You know, he was a gunslinger. He threw too many picks, but he was averaging about nine yards an attempt. They were really throwing down the field. They brought Mark Whipple in uh, from Pitt, who was the architect of the uh, Kenny Pickett offense last year. And then it just kind of all goes out the window the moment that Casey Thompson gets hit in the elbow against Illinois. He has a nerve issue, I guess, that is preventing him from throwing the football. Uh, which... You should just, you <laughs> you should just see the, the look of... on my face. And <laughs> <Seth's> face. <laughs> Does not sound great. Uh, so in response, we have uh, Chubba Purdy, or as Seth put him on the diagram, Chubby Purdy. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I just forgot. noticed that. I'm sorry. Yeah, that showed up in the comments many times. But... <laughs> there is a it's theme an on it's an autocorrect thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> autocorrect. So, and Purdy, again, he was a good recruit, but it's not happening right now against Illinois. 
dreadful against Minnesota. Dreadful. I think he's under three yards an attempt on the season, which tells you all you need to know. There's that one interception against Illinois that's just mind-boggling where he's throwing across the body as he's running across the field. Just some howler stuff. And I think Logan Smothers is the better quarterback, frankly, but Purdy's played more over the past uh, game and a half since Thompson's injury. So I'm not sure who they're going to go with. Frankly, I think we could see them both. They both can run a little bit, which is nice. I mean, they need to because they can't throw it all. And when you mix that in with the ground game, they can run it a little bit. Anthony Grant is fine. His lack of vision was a little frustrating. There were a couple times where there were easy yards in front of him if he just kept running straight and he'd cut it outside and lose yardage. So that was a little unnerving, but they can actually run block on the offensive line. The problem is they cannot pass block at all. And that compounds a problem where the quarterbacks can't throw the ball. Yeah, they're and, 119th in passing down sack rate. Yep. So Indiana level pass protection here. Well, yep. In fairness, they lost their left ta- their uh, left tackle. Uh, was it Teddy Prajaka for the for the Prajaka? Yeah. But he was awful last year. I mean, I was yeah. hoping he was going to get better, but like that's not <laughs> you're not losing Jake Long when you yeah, lose but him. Now right? you're going to the next guy. So like their their tackles, they moved their right tackle Turner Corcoran over to the to the left side, and then Bryce Benhart's playing. He's like that six foot nine monster. Yeah, he's that, a massive guy. Yeah. 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 And didn't didn't Michigan recruit him pretty hard, if I'm recalling correctly? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so well, and people then, are uh, going to make choices. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then there are the, he is huge. Okay. <clears throat> he is a big man. Yeah. And then uh, Brock Bando at right guard. I mean, they've been rotating him with Litovsky. I Litovsky played more against Illinois was, was awful. So you can deduce what Bando is like if he's rotating with that guy. So it, it's just kind of the, the issue here where, I just don't see anything happening for them in the passing game, which is a total reversal from what they'd been a lot of the season. And it's a shame because Trey Palmer is a really good player. He was a transfer from LSU as a wide receiver. He's had an awesome season, was Thompson's favorite target. He just torched Purdue. Uh, There was a couple other games where he just went off. And in theory, was going to be a dangerous target. And he might still do a little bit against Michigan. The problem is, can the quarterback throw him the ball? and even give him a shot, right? Because in the game I watched against Illinois, once Thompson leaves, these guys weren't even giving him a shot, not even (laughs) balls anywhere near him. And so in place of that, you're probably just going to see a lot of scrambling, a lot of zone reads in weaponizing the fact that Smothers and Purdy can run. And that's about it on offense. And this is a spot where losing Scott Frost is actually fairly consequential because if there's anybody who knew how to put together an offense featuring a janky running quarterback who couldn't really throw the ball with Scott Frost. Uh, and Mark Whipple is definitely not that guy. So we've seen them try to diversify in that, but they only had six carries between the two of them against Minnesota, the quarterbacks. And that was a situation where that was a competitive game, right? And you can't throw the ball at all. And you, I'm, I was just surprised. I looked at that, like they had six non-sack carries in that game. And I'm just like, you got to pull out the kitchen sink at that point. Just try to get whatever you can get going at that point. And didn't really happen. And I think that the reason Purdy is playing more than Smothers is the fact that uh, he can throw, in theory, more, even though he's doing worse as a passer. He's more passing-oriented, whereas Smothers was much more of a running-oriented quarterback. And Whipple, you know, he wants a, a passer. He wants a guy more like Thompson. So I think that's why they're trying to make Chubba Purdy happen, even though it's very clearly not happening. Yeah. Um, other side of the ball, 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tackling you is look an at, issue. You look at their rushing stats given up, and you're like, oh, this is kind of an interesting team. They've given up a butt ton of yards to Purdue, and then they actually held Minnesota down fairly well, and then you go drill down, as you did, and you just look at the running back stats, and it's just they get crushed constantly off the ball and you can just blow their defensive tackles off the ball. So easily that going right up the gut for four yards is consistent enough that you can keep doing it. And so then your yards per carry almost doesn't matter very much because of the consistency with which you can just grind them up the middle. Um, they are 118th in line yards and they're coming up against the Michigan Wolverines. So if Harbaugh so chooses, he cannot throw the ball the whole game. That would not be advised, but it's a possibility. It's certainly a possibility, and it's interesting for Nebraska because last year I thought their defensive line was one of the strengths of their defense. They had those three guys up front, Damian Daniels and Ben Still, who gave Michigan some trouble in that game and and were really good players, and Ty Robinson was the third piece, and he was definitely a cut below the other two, but he looks a lot worse this season uh, than he was last year, which is a little bit alarming. Um and everyone else at that defensive tackle spot is is a problem. Colton Feist is the other starter. He barely avoided getting the sign. And then there's there's three defensive tackles on the bench who they rotate in that we all <laughs> gave the the weak spot uh, designation to, as well as Stefan Wynn. They rotate a lot there, and there just are no answers. And Illinois is going up against them, hitting them with doubles, and it's just you know paving them right down the middle. And there's that play I clipped first and 10 from the 11-yard line uh, of Nebraska, right? This is defending your red zone, need to, to dig in. And Chase Brown could have walked to the one-yard line. and just, just embarrassing right down the middle on that play. And that's just kind of the story. And so against Minnesota and Illinois, they both ride their running backs super hard as teams. I mean, Abraham and Brown have been just ridden into the ground this season, and both of them get over 30 carries and are churning it out at four yards a carry or better. And Illinois, who we recall really was not a potent running game, they did fine in the few times they decided to run it against Nebraska. Rutgers, another team that can't really run it, same story. And then Purdue is the other one. And Purdue did it the opposite way. They weren't even going really up against the tackles because they don't have an offensive line at all. They were going you know, jet sweeps and things like that well outside. Uh, the box, and we're still getting huge rushing yards, and that's where tackling comes into play. It's an issue across the defense, and uh, it was Devin Maccabee for Purdue, a walk-on, who had over 200 yards rushing in that game. So <laughs> this is this is pretty grim, and part of it is the tackles, but part of it's the linebackers too. Where and especially because one of their starters has now been lost for the year, and right. on the <clears throat> Sunday podcast, Jamie had an excellent point when we were doing his segment where he was pointing out that this defense can hang together a little bit if it had both those linebackers. But those guys have gone in and out of the lineup this year, and whenever one goes out, it's just a complete disaster because the replacement for the linebacker they've lost for the year is a true freshman. Yeah, Ernest Hausman, uh, true freshman, looks like a true freshman. All you really need to know at that position. They also have Chris uh, Kalarvik, who rotates in a former Northern Iowa transfer, but the fact he is not the starter over a true freshman linebacker, again, not a great sign. So that's kind of the, the run defense problems. And if you want to flag one more thing on the run defense part, on the back end, Miles Farmer, their better safety, 
is unfortunately unable to go for this game due to a suspension related to a DUI. So you've got tackles that are getting blown away, at least one of the two linebackers who doesn't really know what's going on. And now you're going to a safety at the back end who really hasn't played very much because they've ridden uh, Marquise Buford Jr. and Farmer pretty much down to down every game this season. So you've got inexperience at the positions where the guys need to clean up the mess created by the tackles. And to me, that seems like the recipe for some long runs <laughs> in this game. So <clears throat> Michigan's coming off a game against Rutgers in which the passing game was almost there, but struggled overall. And even if they can run it down the throats, it would probably behoove them to throw the ball about around a bit. And the issue that you had trying to chart these guys is that opposing teams just kind of dink it around the line of scrimmage and run the ball down the up opposition's throat. And there's not really a whole lot to go on in terms of the cornerbacks. Yeah. And part of that is playing in the big 10 West, right? That yes. That's and true. remember the reason that certain people on the podcast, please don't look up who it was. were pretty optimistic about Nebraska coming into the year is they <laughs> drew Indiana and Rutgers out of the East. So you had uh, up to this point, just not a good slate of offenses they've been going up against, especially passing offenses. And so you're playing Illinois in the game I charted, and this is a spoiler for next week, but they don't throw down the field very much. They throw a lot of mesh concepts to their one wide receiver they like. They throw a lot to the tight end in true Bielema fashion, and that's about it. And you look at some of these other games, Rutgers, we know what they are as a passing offense. Indiana, we know what they are. as a, So it's just there aren't a lot of comps. There just are not many functional passing offenses in the Big Ten. And the one they go up against, Purdue, decides, oh, we can just run it for 200 some yards on you. And, you know, O'Connell throws a little bit in that game, too. But even that was kind of an out of character performance for Purdue's offense. So. I don't have a ton of notes on these corners. I think these corners are are probably better than the front seven. Because yeah, Quentin Newsom was actually pretty good last year. New Newsom is a fine player. Yeah, I I thought he is definitely their their best DB. Farmer's definitely their best safety, and as we mentioned, he's out. Isaac Gifford is the is the nickel. They play in a lot of sort of four two five type looks or two four five, depending on how you want to classify those edges. One big thing though, they don't get a lot of pass rush. Uh, they have a pretty low sack rate on the season. They do have Garrett Nelson, who I who we like. We gave him the star designation. Uh, black shirt. You gave, you gave him a black shirt, which I you cannot give anybody on this defense a black shirt. Well, so someone, a Nebraska fan, tweeted at me today and said they got rid of the black shirts this year. They did. So, wow. that, so that's an outdated thing, I guess. Oh, but no, anyway, Nebraska. you had one thing. <laughs> but uh, Nelson's a pretty good pass rusher as a whole, but he. They don't get a lot else. I mean, O'Shawn Mathis was a guy we liked coming into the year as a transfer from TCU, just kind of has flopped. Um, not a lot else going on. They don't get any interior pass rush. They blitz some, but DeVito was kept clean most of the time. And again, he was passing short, <sighs> but it's still, I just, I don't know uh, if there's going to be a ton of resistance to to this <laughs> Michigan offense overall in, in the pass game or in the running game. Well, if, I mean, if you look at the, the yards per attempt numbers, even given the fact that they've been playing these terrible defenses, it's really alarming. They gave up 8.3 yards per attempt to Northwestern, 8.9 to Oklahoma, 7.8 to Rutgers, yeah. 8.1 to Illinois, and 8.8 to Minnesota. And Minnesota's backup quarterback threw 
12 of the 20 passes in that game. So yeah, they have a, they have a problem of things going from bad to worse, right? Where catching runs that go out of, <laughs> get out of hand because again, they can't really tackle. And one thing we should note, which I put quite extensively in the piece was, you know, their defense has gone through phases this year before and after they fired Eric Chenander. So they're still a bad defense now, but the defense they were against Northwestern and Georgia Southern is not the one they are now because <laughs> they at the very least have restored some sense of not actively trying to be horrible, right? The the performance against Northwestern, the performance against Georgia Southern was so, so bad. I mean, they were approaching 600 yards against for Northwestern, the team we just watched do the wildcat every play against Ohio oh, state. God. And they gave up over 600 to Georgia Southern. Like th that was so, so bad that that's what got Scott Frost fired. Then the next week, Mickey Joseph fires Janander since then, it's still bad. It's still not going to be a pretty scene when they go up against Michigan. But some of the things we saw early in the year have been cleaned up because it was hard to be that bad. Uh, special teams, there's not a whole lot to go on. I, I noted that they have a total of four punt returns all year, which tells you another thing about their defense. But they have blocked a couple of punts. Um, their kickers only attempted... Uh, nine field goals on the year, but was fairly successful last year at Furman. So that total holistic special teams disaster from a year ago, they they do have a couple of functional specialists. So that's not something that you can rely on. Again, they have a transfer punter who's decent. Um, <clears throat> he is not an all-conquering god of punting like everybody else in the Big Ten, but he's fine. Uh, and so add all that up and you get a 30 two point spread like 30 and a half what I don't, I don't know exactly what it is but it's it's over 30 and uh really i think just the questions here are like what is michigan's approach going to be and how many like long touchdowns do they break against this defense how fast can they put up points basically because with the pass offense that they're breaking into this game and the defensive tackles they have this is like the least concerning game of the year and i think i include yukon and hawaii in that oh, oh my god hey yukon might go to a bowl game yeah, we got a big game in uh, about eight days against Army. All hands on deck. I mean, they're just such a mess, right? It, and if Casey Thompson was playing, then you'd be like, "All right, this is going to be at least a little bit interesting." But now I'm just like, Ugh. I mean, yeah. Can they I mean, that's chuck the that's ball the up story. in the air and have their guys come down with contested catches. I mean, that's that's yeah. What they're going to do. They're going to try that a couple times, and then Michigan's going to put a safety over the top, and it's going to be good at that. Well, and it's not even known if when they chuck it up, the ball can be remotely accurate, right? Right. Like Purdy, <laughs> that one interception he had, I think it's Minnesota, where he underthrows it by about 15 yards. It's just, it's rough. But uh, hopefully for Nebraska fans, they can get a, a new coach in there pretty soon and, and maybe be more competitive in the future. Yeah, and, and you know, always looking up because it's basketball season, right? For <laughs> Nebraska Cornhuskers. All right, scores. What do you got? Um, what was the score of the 2018 game? Was that like 56 to 10 or something? I think that's, that's a good thereabouts. I think, yeah. I think that's a good ballpark for this one. I think I, I think I landed on 55 11. So. So. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Seth. Uh, 64 2.7. I don't. I, <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I well, I, I it's I wanted to say forty two twenty seven, but I can't imagine them scoring twenty. You can say forty two two point seven. We'll go with that. There you go. All right, we're gonna take a break. Come back and look back at the Rutgers game. 
Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family union, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up, and you can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash blog. At Peak, we work with people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the Big House. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. Here's a thing people say. Seth, tell me about your insurance. I'm actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance and I'm really happy I did. Let me guess. You use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group. They are MGO blog readers and they don't advertise during football games. And they've got a five-star rating on anything you would care to see. Call Owen at 248 248- Six eight two seven four four five, or visit them online at philkleininsurance.com. Welcome back to MGO Radio 8.11. Close Maybe? enough. Ten? Uh, no, not, Ten? not really. I, 12? 7? Something Doesn't matter. 9? Nine. 9. All right, so we have uh, gotten to the point in the season where uh, we need to talk about the Rutgers game. <laughs> <laughs> 
I tried to void this all week, and then people were like, "No, I need to have my UFR for Michigan's yeah. offense and Michigan, or sorry, Michigan's defense against Rutgers." Yeah, the off the defense was just like, uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, what I mean, did you have any takeaways that like they came prepared? I mean, like there was Rutgers had a whole bunch of neat stuff planned. It's just they couldn't execute it. So like they got a double reverse that you know flea flickered back to the quarterback, and then the quarterback throws downfield and. He, no, he throws 10 yards over his receiver's head. So That's literally a play in Tecmo Super Bowl. I just want to point that out. Um, <laughs> I wonder if that's where he got it from. But, like, you could tell this is the game they circled. They're like, we're going we're gonna to get Michigan. And then, like, no, at halftime. they just had a couple they, of trick plays or whatever. They got Michigan. The trick plays were terrible. It was it was so it, – it's sad because the trick plays were, like, well-designed. And, like, that one, Sainer still actually got over. But there were a few more interesting wrinkles that Rutgers had and – yeah, I mean Michael Barrett had a good day outside of the interceptions, so that was nice. That's always to see. good to hear. We're yeah. banking on him for the rest of the season. Yeah, and then Colson made a ridiculous play where he uh, got both sides of a zone read when he actually had a tight end trying to come in and knock him out of there as well. He kind of zipped around the tight end and then hopped out on the running back. And he was like, "Sorry, I'm too quick." So, you know, when they put him in the backfield. It's it's fun to watch and kind of reminds you that this guy has all the talent in the world and they're just trying to get him, you know, get him to junior year when he actually will be a plus-plus linebacker instead of a kind of hanging-on linebacker. I mean, I guess one thing that kind of seemed of interest to me during the game was that it didn't really feel like there was a big drop-off from Michigan starting defensive tackles to their backups, and then even the third pairing had a couple of plays here and there. Yeah, yeah. I. That kind of makes me wonder every time, like, you know, you see George Rooks just destroying a guy, and you're like, well, (laughs) is that George Rooks or is that? But, like, I mean, Rooks is a four-star recruit from New Jersey and, you know, out there playing, and he he had a good play. It's not like it was, uh, you know, it's not like what he did. uh, It was a stretch play, and he, you know, he just got on his horse and uh, beat the tackle to the spot. Um but yeah, the the starting tackles were just having a day, and it kind of told me that Rutgers' interior line probably has not faced that level of competition before. And uh, and then the second, you know, Benny and Bram both had I think uh, plus two and a plus three play uh, in their short time out there. So like those, and then uh, you know Cam Good had a play I plus two, but I thought about plus threeing too. It was like a quarterback draw where he just you know. Rah, threw the guy off of him and then made the tackle himself in the backfield. And Yeah, they, they weren't a very good team. So, Rutgers, they had the one thing going, which is throwing it downfield, and that was that was it. Will Johnson had his first start, had a couple of uh, events. Yeah. So he had the interception, and then there was a slant where he couldn't make a tackle. Um, I, other than that, how did you, did you get any events to grade? Yeah, I mean... The what they were doing with him a lot was having him kind of come down before the snap, and then Wimsat would see that and then look around, and then as soon as he looked away, uh, Johnson would drop into coverage. They were playing pretty soft in the second half. I think that Michigan decided their blitzes weren't working. That one where he was playing soft and dinking over the slant, I just hated the design of that play because it's a, turned out to be, I think, a delayed blitz by the safety, and we thought well, the safety was just <clears throat> like coming down and replacing the linebacker or something, but. Yeah, I mean, so I think that's clearly he's got, I think, the tight end and man coverage and the tight end stays in. And instead of like being a robber, he starts like green dog it, which is like, I mean, he's 12 yards away. I mean, 
just sit down and, and rob there and then you at least get a tackle and if not worse so yeah i mean against Wimsat too anytime somebody appeared that he wasn't looking for it was an interception so it's like sure <laughs> that was probably a pick and they ran that twice they did it with uh because that was how i <clears throat> discerned that it was a green dog that it was they had more run it the first time i'm like what is more doing and then they ran it with quentin johnson later um Johnson played a lot, too. Quentin Johnson played a lot, too, which is the first time I think we've really seen him out there. Uh, he had the missed tackle on the on the sc- on that slant. That that's out. that's tough, though. Like this guy's coming at you full speed. And yeah. I thought it was interesting that he started to see more playing time after R.J. Moten didn't get over their first deep shot. That's true. And, I, you know, what's happening Moten is kind of upsetting because it's like – you know, we thought this was a guy we thought would break out maybe this year, or at least it does kind of feel like he's gone a little bit the wrong way this season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was just it's one play, right? And he's not really been having a hard time getting over other times. But there was another uh, fade where I think that like you know the quarterback short a little bit, but that fade on Sainer still they Mitch Leidnerd. Um, you know, Moten got really deep on that one, so he's like he just couldn't figure out how to gauge it. This game was also a little bit difficult to grade because a lot of guys were coming out quickly, and I started to get the sense, and Moten might have been one of them, that guys were getting pulled and then getting inserted again and getting pulled again might have been part of the group that got sick. So I, every once in a while, Moore is another one where, like, you know, the guy's on the field and then he's gone again in a heartbeat, and you're like, well, you know, maybe some of these guys are not 100%. All right. Uh, offensively, a couple of uh, notable I guess not quite debuts, but in terms of games in which I thought that someone could be more than they currently are on the team. Donovan Edwards stands out, obviously. We Ooh. talked about him in the game column. Yeah. And on a detailed review, his his uh, his day didn't really change. He had the one mistake where he was set up for first down yards and tried to cut outside and, and only got about six yards. But <clears throat> the long run was still an amazing decision to threaten outside get people to commit and then jet out inside honestly had a little bit of a feel of denard robinson's first snap in michigan kid <laughs> that kind of acceleration i mean i mean how many michigan greats are we going to compare him to because he had a braylon edwards catch and a you know you're gonna go through all of them if you uh if you keep doing that well I mean, like, he does have the feel of a legitimate, like, NFL wide receiver. And to combine both of those things, you know, I think uh, on the Sunday podcast, Dave compared him to Marshall Falk. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, that that's about right. So I'm, you know, I've been a little bit of an Edwards skeptic, at least in terms of him being a full-time, like, running back who's just a complete defense deleter. And this game got me a lot closer to believing it. The other notable player to make a statement was Jeffrey Percy, who looked not out of place in his first start at Michigan, gave up a few pass pro minuses, but was an effective run blocker. And I think most importantly, showed the kind of awareness you need to have on a Michigan offensive line. Like he's able to combo through guys, climb the linebackers, didn't make mental mistakes that really jumped off the page. Like the worst thing I think he did mentally is like he was not able to identify the fact that Rutgers was running a stunt once and he let a guy kind of up the middle. He Keegan stopped it, but Keegan needed to get off on the looper and he just couldn't because mm-hmm. Percy wasn't in the right spot. So <clears throat> mentally right there, he's like six foot nine, six foot eight. So he's probably going to be at least hypothetically the 
physical specimen that you want left tackle. And I think that was an encouraging performance. And then, you know, just in terms of the passing game, I came up with a completely crazy downfield success rate for JJ McCarthy. Cause I had him for one batted pass. And I think one bad read and everything else was either in the neutral or the bad category, a good category. And oh. I put that together and I was like, Jesus, cause he had, he had minus three in terms of decisions that I charged him with. And then he was plus 10 anyway. So he was plus 13 throwing the ball and he completed less than half his passes. But if you go over everything that he's done, like he got a lot of pressure in this game. And I think that is a concern because Rutgers was able to stunt and run some tricky stuff and, and get to McCarthy a lot. And what happened often was that McCarthy was going to get hit he was focused on one of his receivers. That receiver wasn't particularly open. He fired it, and it got to the receiver, and then a defensive back would separate that receiver from the ball. So do I want him to be able to get through his progressions a tiny bit faster and check it down to Edwards when he's throwing to a bell who's about to be double covered? Probably. Is that a catchable ball? Yes. Is it a good decision? Good enough. Is the ball right there? Yes. Is he facing pressure? Yes. So in my grading scheme that's a positive and even if uh michigan got separated from every ball they could have been separated from in this game the balls were still there the plays were still there to be made now he had some issues on a couple of throws he was wide of schoonmaker he was wide of uh johnson on a play that was a caught ball and he missed andrew anthony by about a yard on the deep shot but overall i mean if you're just looking at this from a perspective of like what happens in until the instant that the ball hits someone's hands? This was an excellent performance. Now, they didn't really ha- ask him to do much in the way of reading, and the two reads that were popped out as very clear options for him, he both he missed both. And one of them was that third and five right before the 50-yard field goal, the first one that was missed that everybody hated as a play call. Yeah, and, you and I both pointed that out this week, right? The, the right, where it's just like, like yeah. they had set that up, beautifully and then the defensive end crashes and then uh mccarthy doesn't pull and then he's very upset at himself after mm-hmm. which he should have been uh i think colson loveland had a pretty rough game as a blocker something that was inevitably going to happen and uh <clears throat> you know in terms of the wide receivers i they didn't have a good game there were three there were 13 balls in this game that were either ones or twos and i had a total of 22 for the whole season before this okay so 22 ones and twos in eight games versus 13 in this game alone and they brought in three of those and they were tough opportunities and i think we might look at the end of the season and think that rutgers is actually one of the better pass defenses in the conference i mean it's always currently Giano's thing right they're, they're currently tied with michigan in terms of yards per attempt but the teams ahead of them are either Big Ten West teams mm. or Michigan or Ohio State. And Michigan and Ohio State don't have to play themselves. And Rutgers doesn't get to play itself. So <laughs> just in terms of competition level that they've faced so far, I think they're probably on another level from everybody else in the Big Ten, and they're still right there. And the remarkable thing about all these coulda, shoulda completions is that they're well-covered. Pretty much the only things that weren't well covered in this game were the opening hit to Bell and then those two shots to Donovan Edwards. Well, and everything Colson else. Loveland one time. Well, the ball didn't get to Colson Loveland. Yeah. That <laughs> uh, 
we were talking on TKA with Sam, and he's like, well, that's his first read, and it was open, and both Seth and I were like, was he? Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, there's like three guys, and he made like an NFL-level dead-on throw that did get ripped out by a guy who was there. So you can, your mileage may vary on like whether that was a good idea or not. Um, I always try to like be humble and be like results-based charting. It got mm. to schoonmaker schoonmaker had an opportunity for a touchdown we're just gonna make that a positive you know if you have a personal philosophy that says he needs to get the loved one there fine um <clears throat> well and i think I, I think it, it gets into what kind of quarterback mccarthy is like he knows he can make that throw so he makes that throw a quarterback who looks at that and goes well i'm not getting that in there finds love well and i did like one thing about it is that there was a, a rollout earlier in the year two or three games ago where he has Schoonmaker and he's Schoonmaker ran it out and then he turned it up the field. And Schoonmaker, the guy who's covering him, is in panic mode. He's got his back mm-hmm. to McCarthy and he's completely in trail coverage. And McCarthy's like trying to thread a needle. It's like, okay, if I put it down here, it's low and away. This is w- where only my guy can get it. Yeah. And what he should have done is he should have put it in the butt zone and have his tight end leap for it. And if he gets it, he gets it. And if he doesn't get it, like the chance of a personal uh, a pass interference is extremely high. So I kind of feel like that throw to Schoonmaker was a uh, improvement in that regard because that's exactly what he did. And the Rutgers defensive back made a great play after Schoonmaker had caught the ball and right. was able to rip it out. But you know, sometimes that's going to be a touchdown. And uh, uh, just not that day. So I, I kind of think all the, the uh, receiving issues are temporary. We've seen enough from the guys to to believe that they're going to make those catches down the road. And in terms of quarterback performance, uh, I, I was a little uh, taken aback at how much I liked it after I graded it, which is always an interesting experience where you add up the numbers and you're like, ooh. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm fortunately you got it. Wish out so I could late. fudge that. <laughs> unfortunately, it came out so late that nobody could like you know, Brian. What are you doing? Like there wasn't a whole. Yeah. You put that this out on Tuesday. There's like a whole week of MGO blogs and saying sure. you're McCarthy slappy. So, all right, we're gonna take a break. Come back and discuss the season opener in basketball. At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, Certified Financial Planner from Peak Wealth Management in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. Now we have over $240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year, and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley anyway, and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, and make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management, your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. 
The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high-quality and low-latency communication functionality for video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs, original geeks of programmable communication. It can be a rough ride along the information superhighway. That's why we build our e-commerce websites tough enough to handle the load. With the capacity to take hundreds of simultaneous online transactions and the stability of load-balanced, co-located server architectures, a website from Human Element performs in the roughest conditions. Thousands of products? No problem. We'll throw in the tools to manage them with precision and efficiency. All with a design slick enough to make you think your girlfriend might be impressed. So load it up and hit the gas and let Human Element show you the way. Special offers available for return licenses. Financing available with approved credit to qualified buyers. Client participation may affect savings. Optional equipment available at additional cost. See human-element.com for details. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. Radio 8.9. Hey. Now it is time to discuss the basketball game that happened on Monday against Purdue-Fort Wayne. A 75-56 win over the Mastodons, perhaps the best uh, aimed team in all of D1. And, I mean, obviously the thing that sticks out in terms of new contributors is Jet Howard. Jet Howard goes 21 points. She's 5 of 10 from 3. Five assists, <laughs> one turnover, and is a complete abomination defensively. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> people don't. Not everyone so, noticed that. Like all the basketball people are like, "This is uh, this is terrible," and all the non-basketball people are like, "Look at him go! This is gonna be awesome." So this is this is something that is I think going to be really key for team ceiling this year. Mm-hmm. Is like how fast can Michigan get Jet Howard to something approximating like viability as a defender he's six foot eight his lateral agility is not elite he has some limitations but there's no way he 
can't get to average-ish, maybe even a B defender if he wants to. And maybe that doesn't happen this year, but the amount of effort I think we saw from him is something that, you know, his dad is going to have to be like, this isn't going to fly because we saw him have some pretty lackadaisical closeouts. We saw him get confused and that's something that is going to happen to freshmen, but it's uh, it just really stands out as a limiting factor for this year's team. Cause you know, Dickinson, good post defender, not really mobile. You have some hope for Llewellyn. Terrence Williams is dogged, but is not exactly a shutdown wing defender. You know, maybe Buffkin gives you something there, but that's that's your starting lineup, and I don't think that's really in question that that's going to be the vast majority of your minutes. So, if there's going to be anyone who can stand up to a pretty good wing player, it's probably going to be Buffkin or Howard, and neither of those guys has really shown it. Yeah. Well, I, I I mentioned this in the EMU preview, and it's going to be a little awkward because I think most people are listening to this after that game tonight, and we're talking about before it. But, you know, I figured when I was looking at the rosters, it's just, you know, who else is going to guard Monty Bates? Because, you know, 6'9 six, 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 wing, you're going to put your 6'8 wing on him. And if, if this game actually looks interesting from a Bates perspective, it's because of, you know, Jet Howard, the way he was playing. I imagine that level of effort, might have been like, you know, it's the first game, kind of could get away with that in high school more than you can in college. And, like, that's yeah. going to be cleaned up faster. The rest of it, I mean, it took Caleb Houston till midseason, I think, before he was a, you know, a C-plus or B-minus defender. And Yeah, and he, he yeah. did get there. Yeah. Like, not as, not as, like, an elite guy, but as a guy who is much better than he started. And so yeah. that's what your hope is for Howard. On the other side of the ball, though, any sort of Jet Howard... Caleb Houston comparisons are completely invalid. <laughs> just <true>. just in <laughs> terms of like the vibes that these players give off. Because, you know, for Caleb Houston, it always felt as soon as he missed one shot, he was done for the night. Mm-hmm. And he would get in his head and he would just not be able to do anything. Jet Howard does not care if he misses a shot. Jet Howard has no conscience. And, and when you're shooting like he does and you have the ability that he does, that's a good thing. It's like... Uh, when uh, Zach Irvin was a freshman, he was coming off the bench and he was shooting like 35% of Michigan shots, yeah. <laughs> but, but they were all threes and they went down at like a 38% clip. So it's like, shoot on, sir. And the thing that jumps out to me, especially vis-a-vis Caleb Houston is the five, five assists. Hmm. Like he is a secondary playmaker and, you know, he can attack a closeout, draw someone to him and then, kick some kick it out and that's something that Caleb Houston did very occasionally but was not really a uh, a feature of his game I don't think you could say yeah I mean he was a lot more aggressive just attacking and and taking it two defenses you never really saw Houston be all that assertive I do want to say the one thing that is also a little disappointing with Jed and a little too much like Houston right now for my liking is two rebounds in 31 minutes for yeah. a 6-8 wing in that that's... game against Purdue Fort Wayne yeah, and in the in the Ferris State game, there were a couple of offensive rebounds that were directly traceable to Jet Howard not boxing anybody out. So he's six eight. You know, Terrence Williams is going to put up some numbers. Dickinson's going to put up some numbers. You need Howard to like fill that role, or you need like someone to pull the Derek Walton. But this was kind of a blowout on the offensive boards in Fort Wayne's favor. They got fifteen offensive rebounds to Michigan's four. Oh. Part of that is because Michigan got 
uh, more shots up. The turnovers were 14 to eight, but that doesn't close even half that gap. So that's, it's going to be a big issue to look for going forward. And the onus is more on jet because you're starting a six, seven power forward, right? Yes. Like he's going to need to chip in more uh, because you've got a, a, an undersized four there alongside of him. Yep. And so we saw Buffkin have a uh, three assists, two turnovers, didn't hit a three it was four or seven from, from two. I think he looked improved. I think he looked like a guy who's ready to take on a, uh, a greater role and like, yeah, he's, he didn't hit the threes in this game, but he's going to be a 35 or maybe better three-point shooter. So I thought that was a pretty encouraging game from him. We saw him act as a secondary playmaker as well. And with Hunter Dickinson on the team, I don't think you really need anything like in terms of primary playmaking because you can always attack a closeout if Hunter Dickinson's got the ball. I mean, if Buffkin could uh, can operate the offense, which he did that a few times this game, and it was like, whoa. Because, I mean, what's, what does Michigan have right now? They got three guards. Doug kind of, you know, we'll, we'll get into him in a little bit. But, like, you know, Llewellyn can't be out there all the time, especially if he's taking on as much defensive responsibility. And if you can have Buffkin go out there and, and play the one a little bit, because that's really what it is. Michigan's got, you know, a point guard, a center, and everybody else is a wing, right? If he's a – if he can be point and he can operate the offense, that's – that, that's a piece of the, this team that we didn't really foresee coming into the season. And then defensively, he's I, it's night and day from last year. I had a lot of complaints about him as a defender last year that I think got cleaned up. Um, I know it's one game, but he was – it's the opposite of Jet. He was out there. He was, he was pushing. He was in the right spot. He was directing people a couple times, and I'm like, hooray for sophomore <laughs> level up. Like, this is, this is what we were hoping to see from Buffkin. Well, Dickinson is Dickinson, so we don't really have to spend too much time on on who he is, but I do think it was interesting just the sort of feel of what was happening when Dickinson had the ball in the post in this game. Because last year, you know, they have a non-shooter out there in, in Musa almost all the time. Sometimes you have a second non-shooter out there in Caleb Houston pretty much all the time. <laughs> um you have Frankie coming off the bench, another non-shooter. So that lane got packed when Hunter Dickinson was was in it. And this game, this team doesn't look like it's going to have a single person other than maybe Jace Howard and maybe Doug McDaniel, who's not a shooter on the floor, period. So those Purdue teams where it was like, we have an ogre in the center of the court and we have four shooters around him. So you, who are you going to tag off? Like, I think that dynamic is going to be what we're looking at for Michigan this year. I think that's really going to help Hunter Dickinson and the offense in general. Yeah, the spacing looked definitely improved in this game. And I mean, Hunter was was just so dominant, right? I mean, this is you know you expected in this game nine of eleven from the floor, but the way he was backing in, I mean, we didn't even need to see him do any stretch five type stuff; just dominate in the paint and get it over with. The thing I do want to point out about Hunter in this is a segue at some point into some of the bench conversation, but Michigan's, I don't, I never saw the on off splits with Hunter in this game, but just tracking them and writing the recap, it was pretty dramatic, especially in that second half where Hunter comes off and things go really awry until he comes right back on and then order is restored. And so I well, think certainly in, in watching this first game, uh, he is the most important player on Michigan's team. I, I don't think, think there's any question about that. Part of that was the fact that they didn't just take Hunter Dickinson off yeah. the floor. They also took Howard and I think Buffkin off the floor. So it was like a lineup of Terrace Reed and Jace Howard and Doug McDaniel and maybe Joey Baker. 
it was yeah and it i don't think seems like you're gonna have to stagger right yes I, mean, I don't think you're gonna see many minutes without either hunter dickinson or jet howard on the floor i think you're gonna have to spread those minutes out so bench discussion uh baker goes three of six from three doesn't look nearly as disastrous as a defender as he did against ferris state actually has an assist looks functional 16 minutes that's kind of what you want from joey baker yeah he looked like exactly what he was brought here to do i think the ferris game is a guy who's played uh years at duke and and knows what <laughs> knows what the real games are and knows what the not real <laughs> <Yeah>. games are <laughs> he and uh yeah, I mean, how long has it been, though, since we've been making fun of just the shooters? And it's like, it feels good to have. We don't make fun of just the shooters. It's just a type of player. No, but no, but, we've for a long time. I think there was a little bit of wryness every time we said the, the said the term. But like, it feels good to have that guy out there. Like, I it's, it's an experience that we've seen on the other side so often. It was weird to be on the other side of it for once. Who's the last time uh, we had a, just a shooter other than like a freshman learning or something? Well, yeah, but that happens. Like we've had plenty of just a shooters. Like we we were a John Beeline program for a long time. That was we were like just a shooter of the program. None uh, of those, yeah, but no, but those guys were not just a shooters. That was the whole thing. Right? Well, I mean, <laughs> but they were as as freshmen. So I'm like sure. Irvin. Irvin was just a shooter his whole career. Any in any case, that's yeah. not really relevant. The other wing who saw significant minutes was Jace Howard. Twelve minutes, hits a three, hits a free throw, gets an offensive rebound four personal fouls in 12 minutes not great but jace howard is the guy who if there's a three and d guy on the roster it's him because he's built he's got great size he seems to have the lateral mobility to stay in front of someone so that three he knocked down is big from my perspective because like if he can be a reasonable three-point shooter then yeah he can be a 15 20 minute a game guy off the bench because they're gonna need someone who can commit fouls they're going to need someone who can stay in front of a six foot six or a six foot seven guy and make him pull up and we're going to work on jet howard we're going to see how kobe buffkin is but jace howard is another shot shot at that and that's one of the most important spots on the roster which announcer was it we had it was some announcer we had last year who says in the middle of a game that Jet and Jace's games are exactly like, and it was like, I think their mom responded on Twitter immediately, like, no, they're nothing like. It's amazing how, like, these two guys are brothers, and they're, like, polar opposite players. Yeah. We saw the uh, an assist from uh, Jet to Jace. That was on the three-pointer, mm-hmm, was, mm-hmm. was a pass across. I mean, for him, it's all about the, the offense, because we've seen Jace be able to defend a little bit, but he's just been such an offensive black hole in the spot time he's he's gotten over two seasons that if the shot starts going down and he's got a pulse on that end there's definitely a role and you know he's a coach's kid he's got the 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 trust of martelli and juan so it's uh, funny that jace howard is a coach's kid and jet howard is the opposite of a coach's kid. <laughs> hey the the oldest is uh you know, more of a rule follower my, the youngest my kids are exactly the same my kids are the, yeah. the same yeah the, one of them you know, does everything daddy wants. And the other one is like, what rule can I break today? Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, but in terms of the offense for Jace Howard, all Jace Howard has to do is hit threes. Yep. He doesn't have to handle the ball. It'd be nice if he was able to get on the offensive boards, give you some like dirty work, like Terrence Williams will, but all he has to do is stand in the corner and hit threes. And then he's a 15, 20 minute game player. Cause 
Michigan has Howard and Bufkin and Dickinson. They don't need someone to do complicated things on offense. So that's that's all it is. Three and D, and Jace Howard's got a role. Uh, point guard Doug McDaniel uh, only hits one of five shots. Does have a, a turnover, two steals though. Dogged defender, and his one make in this game was spectacular. Uh, yes. It's coast to coast, <laughs> goes through a guy and then lays it up on the rim. Fun player, a guy who. Uh, his shooting stroke is debated. He had a couple of pull-ups in the Ferris State game that went down, looked pretty smooth. Uh, I think he was able to shoot in the mid-30s from three his last year of high school, and that included a lot of pull-ups. So I'm generally hopeful that McDaniel's going to have enough outside shooting to offset the fact that he is a tiny little dude. But in terms of being able to get in the lane, that's never going to be a problem. He's a super super sticky defender with with a lot of uh ability to get steals he had no fouls in this game despite his overall defensive propensities and once it slows down for him once it he understands the offense i think he's going to be a productive player yeah i mean this was a, a firecracker performance from him right it was all over the place at times but we saw the range of why you're optimistic about him and his role in the program and he didn't have a foul in this game, but, I, you know, he's a guy kind of like Jace where you can be like, it's okay if he's foul trouble, right? I mean, he's a backup guard. Like, Joannis yeah. and Martelli have talked about wanting to force more turnovers this season. That's something that they haven't done really at all in the Juwan era defensively. And it seems like they're going to tell him, go get in there, get some steals, try to put pressure on the ball handler. And you'll take the fouls when they come, but that's okay because he's not a starter. And he's going he's gonna to create opportunities in transition. Right, get him the ball, let him get out there and run, let him get downhill on the offensive end of the court and, and attack the lane. It's just, can he shoot? Because we've had a, a couple uh, small point guards that have had some shooting troubles, and Xavier Simpson figured out how to make it work despite that by pulling a magic trick out of the hat in the, the, you know, the hook shot. Frankie didn't really figure that out last year, and... Now I guess it's just going to shoot anyway at Arizona State, <laughs> but <laughs> if, four of eleven in their opener. Yeah, uh, but it, you know if you're a small guy, you got to be able to shoot that three because it's yeah. just yeah. even if you can blow by your defender and you have tricks at the rack, you're still going to go up against long defenders who can swat you. And I you did just a, don't have the size there, and so you need to be able to shoot a little bit to make it all come together. I, I did appreciate that he raided Frankie Collins' uh, clothes closet. He had the, the headband. He had the hair already. He had, <laughs> yeah. like, the, the, the leg band, which not many players have. Like, he he came out and exactly like, dressed as Frankie Collins for Halloween. Yeah, this team has some hair. Like, Greg Glenn. Oh, my <laughs> God. That's amazing. Glenn looks uh, like, fi- a, like a center. <clears throat> he he oh, looks like a big. He's a big guy. Yeah. All right. Uh, finally, Terrace Reed, 11 minutes, uh, one point. Looked a little rough, uh, but he's a freshman big. I think that's just you're going to have to live through some growing pains there. He looked okay defensively. He had one really nice block, but the offense was – it was a roller coaster. <laughs> and the, the free throws did not look great either. So I think one, the other question besides, you know, how f- quickly can Jets' defense come – how quickly can Terrace Reed's ability to hang in there, right, as the full package is, a, is another story because that will take pressure off Hunter Dickinson once they have a functional backup big that you can trust to not get caved in. Yeah, if you're shooting yeah. free throws like that, you should not be wearing Shaq's number. That's, that's, that doesn't help. <laughs> 
And the other kind of thing that jumped out is that those four guys were the only ones to get appreciable time. So uh, Glenn got one minute. Cheddar got one minute at the end of the game. Isaiah Barnes didn't play, uh, which I think might be the biggest surprise. Um, so that kind of looks like your rotation. I, I, we might see some guys emerge midseason, but that's a pretty strong statement about who your guys are. Well, I mean, you don't need to go 11 deep off the bench, right? This is No, you don't need to go 11 deep off the bench. I'm just uh, like who who those guys are. Like, I, yeah. I, I mean, because Barnes in particular has a reputation as a guy who's not quite there in terms of making the rotations, knowing where he's supposed to be all the time. But physically, again, if you need a wing stopper, he might be one of your better bets. And so I was a little bit surprised that they didn't give him a little bit of little bit of run just to see how it went maybe down the road yeah it was i mean it was appreciated as the guy who you know does the nine man chart every week that i didn't have to worry about a 10th guy but you know the the knock on him the that i was hearing from uh practice is that he was not making his shots so like maybe he's picked up the defense but like the offense still isn't there or something but um you know it you keep we keep saying late early for him you keep but he's not that old so I'm not saying late early. I just I'm like, I yeah. But he's, he's a development prospect that, like, you know, I think next year if he's not in the lineup is when you start to worry. This year is another year where it's like, man, you got a six foot seven wing. You could use that. Where is he? You know? Yeah. All right, we're gonna come back, take a break, and uh, talk about some World Cup stuff. Tell them that. This is Matt Demrest, the owner of Homeshare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance. This is Seth Fisher from Emgo Blog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use Homeshare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself use them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our complicated loan. Brian used them, you should use them too. Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com, that's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E, lending.com, slash mgoblog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me, kind of an annual tradition, Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? 11. Colby, how about you? Nine. Can I get a Go Blue? Go Blue! NMLS number one one six one three five eight equal housing lender want the perfect game day outfit underground printing has unique great fitting u of m apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary michigan names like woodson howard eufer and more ugp also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups events and businesses whether you need one shirt as a gift or one thousand shirts for a charity walk underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small to learn more visit underground printing in one of our three convenient locations around ann arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com one and two and if you find yourself on the wrong side of the law you want a michigan man in the huddle call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor jonathan paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com john is a proud graduate of the university of michigan ross school of business and michigan law school he looks forward to showing you the michigan difference It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. 
Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up, and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. Welcome back to AMGO Radio 8.9. Yay. What were we listening to? Uh, that was On The Line. They, uh, I don't think they're actually in operation anymore, but they're readers, and I was listening to their stuff all week. It's good stuff for uh, you know for jamming out to while you're uh, trying to pump out a Rutgers oh, UFR. Yeah. I no sleep. All right. So people keep asking me about World Cup stuff, and I'm like, am I going to write about it? I'll, I'll try, I'm going to try. It's football season. It's a difficult proposition, but uh, I'm going to try it. But we thought we would sort of talk about what to expect from this World Cup. Yeah. As a person who pays attention a lot and a person who doesn't. Right. So right. Seth. I'm aware what of a few things. I, I, okay. <laughs> I, I admit that I, I, you know, I, I follow a lot of other things that are not this. But, I mean, I have a basic. So Klinsman is gone. All the Klinsman is long gone, right? Yes. <laughs> and and, and what I mean by that is like the all the players from that era are pretty much gone as well. And this is like the I mean, there's there's a few holdovers, but by and large, that that team uh, is gone. Okay. I mean, Pulisic was 19 and scored a goal in Kuva, which uh, was the only goal they scored in the game that kept them out of that World Cup, but. So there's a few pieces here and there that were either uh, just coming into the team then or have managed to hold over, but it's pretty much a completely new outfit. I mean, this is going to be the youngest team in the World Cup by some distance. It'd be even younger if Miles Robinson, who was one of their starting center backs, didn't tear his ACL, mm-hmm. and they had to, they called up Tim Ream. So probably the scariest thing going on for the team right now is the situation at center back where. Uh, uh, not Miles Zimmerman. I can't help last name. I'm sorry. Last name Zimmerman. He plays for Nashville. I'm okay. blanking on his first name. He's been the top choice center back for the U.S. for a year, maybe 18 months now. And they paired him with this kid from Atlanta who's 22, was super fast and really good one-on-one. So you could play a, a high line with him. You could have your defensive line way up the field and you wouldn't get burned over the top. And so he tore, he tore his ACL when he tore his Achilles and they've been rotating through guys trying to find out like who's the next, next best option. And the next best, uh, best option is no, not going to be available because he's injured. Okay. So they end up calling up Tim Ream, who's 35 plays for Fulham, which is a premier league team this year. He's their captain. He's been playing really well. And every time he plays for the U.S., it's a complete disaster. Oh, God. <laughs> like, he, like, passes the ball backwards and gives up a goal. And it's just, like, his career as a club player is one of the more impressive club careers for a U.S. defender probably ever. But when he puts on the U.S. shirt, it just seem, see, things seem to go haywire. But I'm at a point right now that I'm like, 
All right, Tim Ream. Let's try Tim Ream. Okay. <laughs> because he's he's in great form right now. He's playing every week in the, in the Prem, and he has always been a guy who's really good distributing the ball, and that's something that the U.S. can really use because Zimmerman is not that. But well, it, and you you mentioned like that you know that he's in great shape. It's kind of a weird mix of like MLS players and guys who are playing overseas right now, and then backups. Uh, who are playing overseas right now. So it's a little... I, I'm wondering if you're worried about some guys who haven't been playing that much. I know our goalie is supposed to... Uh, is like Arsenal's backup. Like, is that bothering yeah. that some guys haven't been playing that much? Well, so he's been... Matt Turner is the goalie. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, for a very long time, was the best goalie in MLS by miles in any sort of like advanced stats metric okay. you could come up with. And when you watch him play, it's like, I can absolutely see this. He's he's a great shot stopper. He's uh, not that great with his feet, but that's that's job two. Job one is stopping the shots. But he's been playing in the Europa League for Arsenal, and he's been playing in their cup games. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that means he's gotten, I don't know, 10 or 12 games recently. And uh, they're so confident in him, they left Zach Steffen at home because Zach Steffen's been kind of up and down. But your point about MLS is actually not really applicable outside of center back. Okay. So they have, they have some MLS guys at center back, but pretty much everybody else on the team is in Europe. Um, so starting left back plays for Fulham again, starting right back plays for uh, Roma. I forget where Dest got shipped off to, but he plays in Syria. Uh, and the, the starting forwards are probably going to be from Dortmund and Chelsea and Lily Lil. Lil. Leal, thank yeah. you. I got a good friend or, who lives there. <laughs> and there's a couple guys who play for Leeds in the Prem, so it's it's really the first time in the history of the U.S. that you can look at this roster, and most of it is on high-profile teams. So there's a guy, a kid who plays for Valencia named Yunus Musa, who's probably either the most important or second most important person on the roster, because what he does is he is press resistant. So one of the things that modern soccer has really focused on is getting the ball back as fast as possible. So instead of dropping back and let, letting your opponents advance and getting the ball back from when they try to score the goal, once they get the ball, you do something called counter press, which is immediately try to get the ball back no matter what. And the U S has always had issues with it. They look absolutely horrible in a warm up friendly against Japan and everybody's freaking out. And I'm like, well, two guys didn't play uh, Jedi Robinson, the left back, and Eunice Mutsa, one of their most important center midfielders. And Robinson gives you width. He's the only left-footed guy on the roster, basically. Okay. So the backup left backs are all right backs who can also play left back. And the starting left winger is Pulisic, who's right-footed and cuts inside. So without Robinson, you have no width. Without Musa, you don't have a guy who, once he gets the ball and someone presses him, he just turns up field and goes. Um there's a guy named Darlington Nagby who was briefly on the national team and then Klinsman didn't play him in a couple games and he's like, I'm done with this. And it was the most heartbreaking thing in the world for me because that was what he did. You got him the ball and if you tried to press Darlington Nagby, he just broke the press himself. And that's what Eunice Musa brings. And Eunice Musa is like 19 years old, so we get to do this for two more World Cup cycles. And I'm totally psyched about that. <laughs> um, but so they have him. They have Tyler Adams, who's a defensive midfielder and also doesn't really have 
a uh, a reasonable backup. Like his reasonable backup is an MLS player, Kellen Acosta, who I think plays for LAFC now. He was with the Rapids, um, and he's okay. He's not Tyler Adams though. And this team is talented. They're not that deep yet. They have some places where they're deep. I'd say the wings, and they also don't have a striker who's established in any way whatsoever. So going into this season, it was like nobody is scoring. And now we have some guys scoring. So what they're scoring in like the English championship, which is a second tier or the Turkish league. So they brought Josh Sargent, who's at Norwich and uh, Haji Wright, who played one game for the, for the U S and Burhalter like ripped him afterwards as a guy who didn't really play very well. <laughs> and now he's on the world cup roster. Cause he scored like eight goals in 12 games. And so he's like, I don't know this guy, right. um, but that's really the, their main issue. They have issues at center back, and then they do not have an established striker. And that's... I mean, being this young, is it possible that you get somewhere? I mean, th- that's kind of what this season is, right? Like, it's like, let's let's see what we've got, because this is... It's not the only cycle you're going to go through with this team, right? You're probably going to go well, through but... for two more cycles. I mean, you're you're going into this trying to win as many games as possible. It's well, the yeah, World it's the Cup. World Cup. <laughs> you're not, it's not like you get a million you're not, chances. You're not at life. building for the future. <laughs> right, right, right. But I'm saying, like, with young teams in the World Cup, you know, they go in and then, like, you know, that's where you find out about the guy because he's 19 years old. You know, eight months ago, it was a it entirely is, different world for him. It is possible. I mean, so the – I mean, I always like Sargent, but he's – uh he, he signed with Norwich and they were like a bottom of the premiership team and he was playing wing. He's being like a defensive winger. Mm-hmm. And he didn't score for like a year and a half and they, they moved down a level. So they have the ball more. They're kind of, they're at the top of the division instead of the bottom of the division. They move him to striker. And then all of a sudden he starts putting goals in and it's like, all right, like this is what we were hoping this guy would be when we saw him as a youth player and he was playing for the U S and the U 20 world cup. And he looked fantastic. And then you're sometimes these guys sign with these bottom of the table programs, especially attackers, and it's just the worst decision they could possibly make because mm-hmm. they don't get opportunities and everybody's furious at them and they don't really get to practice their game in any sort of meaningful way because what they're doing is they're just watching the other team have the ball for 80% of the game. Mm. And then, like this happened to Josie Altidore, he signed for Hull after scoring a billion goals in Holland and then he scored like maybe twice got shipped off to MLS. And so you really have to be careful as an attacker where you sign with. And I think Sargent made a mistake, but then fortunately for him, his team got relegated. And now he's in a spot where he can can actually see the ball. Mm-hmm. But you know, back towards the team. So it's a four, it's a four three three. You have a standard back line. You have Serginho Dest and Anthony Robinson as the outside backs. They're both very attacking. They're both Young, they both have defensive questions. You have Tyler Adams as the six, who's the defensive midfielder. Ton of range, really great in terms of counterpressing, winning the ball back. In front of him, you have uh, Musa, who I mentioned already, mm-hmm. and uh, Weston McKenney, box to box midfielder, great in the air, will score goals with his head, physical, has that kind of he like. If anybody on this team has that dog in him, okay. <laughs> Weston McKinney has that dog in him. So these guys have been playing together for a year or so now. Doesn't really change. It's the CCM midfield, and it's and it's uh, doesn't. Hey, that's not right. <laughs> I 
It's the MMA midfield. Okay. Sorry. CCM is the hockey line from Michigan back in the day. I was wondering um, where you're going with that. I, I so so I they were referencing the, the hockey line. I thought that was like, they've they've been together as a unit for a long time now, and okay. I think that's but a long time in the context of this team is like 18 months. Right. And at the next World Cup, a long time is going to be like six years. So there's a big difference. Um, and then at the forward positions, we've mentioned Pulisic, who's actually coming into pretty good form, which is important. So he was on the bench for a long time at, at Chelsea. He's still like a spot starter, but when he gets on, he looks really dangerous now, which he's been occasionally in his career. Then you have Tim Weah on the other wing, very vertical player, uh, a guy who has all the athleticism in the world and will press. And then as a wild card, you have a kid named Brendan Arison who plays for Leeds, who, um, oh my God. Brendan Aronson is like if it's always sunny in Philadelphia was a soccer player. He's the most annoying person in the world. He's super fast and he just never stops running. And if you played against Brendan Aronson, it would be like (laughs) having all five of those people scream at you about bird law for 90 minutes. (laughs) That's who he is. Everybody loves him. And it's like, well, where, where does he fit on this roster? So, cause they have guys at the wings. They have guys in the midfield. And great thing is whenever you put Aronson in, it's, you're going to get something out of him. And you know what you're going to get out of him. And if that's as a sub at 60 minutes, or if you're playing him for 60 minutes and then bringing in way to run at, at tired legs, all that feels really good. And then the problem is I mentioned the terrible game against Japan. They had another terrible game against Saudi Arabia right after that. Those are the two most recent games. They will not have a warm-up game before the World Cup because okay. of the stupidity of having it in Qatar and playing it mm-hmm. in November. So they're going into it basically blind. They're trying to in, in they're trying to figure out who their second center back is. They're trying to figure out who their starting forward is. You could get literally anything from them and you'd be like, "Oh, okay." So I think you're going to see a lot of chaos at this World Cup because of the, the context. You're mm-hmm. going to have a lot of guys out. You're not going to have a lot of organization. Um, and it's going to be super hot, which I think plays to Michigan's, uh, Michigan, the U.S.'s advantage. I, I should count the number I, of I times I do that in literally all the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it plays to the U.S. advantage because they're young and they can all run. So if other teams are flagging, if they're if they're dropping off, if they don't have the ability to press – I think the U.S. will still maintain that, and so kind of going balls to the wall uh, is is the approach that you might see. Now, I would feel a lot better about this if the two most recent friendlies worked out. But one of the, the trends that you saw over the past two three years is is that the U.S. pretty much eased past Mexico in those head to head matchups. Mm-hmm. So early in Berhalter's tenure, they played this game where. They couldn't play it out of the back. They just humped it up to Josie Altador. And once he was out of gas, they, they were done. And next time they played against Mexico, they got a little better. Next time they played against Mexico, they got a little better. And by the end of the cycle, they'd won three straight. And they actually really controlled play and outchanced Mexico in the last two. They play like that if they can find out how the opponent ticks and they, they really scout him into the ground and they know what their approach is going to be. And they get healthy versions of Eunice Musa and Jedi Robinson. Then I think they can get out of the group, but I won't be surprised if they don't either, especially because of the chaos factor. And that is your thousand foot view of the U S soccer team. Uh, 
I guess you know who's going to win. Who? What's your uh, your prediction? You know, give one. Croatia. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got a lot of coastline, so that's what you need to win the World Cup. I, I, coastline relative to population. Uh, okay, well we do too, you know. <laughs> yeah, but we got we got a lot more people. That's a disadvantage. You want to have like four people in your whole country. Well, if, if coastline Here. determines college football, then Michigan's winning the championship because. All right, yeah. Yeah, yeah there you go. All right. We're always awkward when this, these are Steven. Boris is a mayor and a land surveyor with plans of his own. He hates Aruska, he hates a Volta, bandit from his home. He hates Aruska, Aruska, vodka. vodka. He never drank a single drop. He hates Aruska, Aruska, vodka. vodka. There's poison he swears.